TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Welcome back, Sports Huddle. Mike Max, Pete Nigerian. Thrilled to be joined on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline by Jim Cott, the Hall of Famer and uh, author as well. We'll get to that in a minute. You know, Jim, obviously here we're talking about cold weather all week, and they delayed the opener by a day, and it looks like it's going to be cold this week. I I just want you to give us some perspective. Uh, (laughs) One of the famous stories, and I'm not sure how many people that, unless you're the story of the Twins, have heard this one, uh, but you were on the other side of the river and had to get to the game, and there was an opener and a helicopter and a whole bunch of stuff. Take us back to yesteryear. To, to what it was like at Met Stadium on, on that. I think it was 1965, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was the uh, it was the home opener, and uh, I I don't think it was that bad a day, but it was all the rain that had come in. And uh, living out in Burnsville, and of course before cell phones, driving to the stadium to the old Met because I was pitching that day, and I noticed the traffic was backed up. So I asked the guy ahead of me. I got out of my car. And, he said, yeah, we can't get over the river. So I went back to my apartment, which is about 10 minutes away, and called Paul Geel, you know, who was a teammate of mine. And then at that time was the sports director for WCCO. Yep. And uh, I said, Paul, we got a problem here. <laughs> and uh, I thought maybe their weather helicopter could, uh, could help us out, and it did. We went to the Burnsville High School parking lot, and uh, Dick Stigman, Bill Bethay, Rich Rollins and myself, we were flown into uh, the Met Stadium two by two. I think we only had 16,000 people there that day. But, uh, yeah, that was a very unique experience. So you got to the game on time to pitch the game in a helicopter at Met Stadium. <laughs> I did, yeah. That was a, no. that was pretty first-class trial. That was like flying <laughs> private. You know, they fly you, fly you into the parking lot, you pitch the game, and they fly you back to the uh, parking lot near where you live. <laughs> that's fun stuff. Pete? Oh, Jim, that's great. And and love Paul Geel was uh, the athletic director when I was at the University of Minnesota. And just uh, sure. he was like a second dad, one of the nicest people I, I've, I've ever been around. What what was it like when you stepped away from baseball, Jim, and, and you got uh, with the New York Yankees and we're doing color there? And, and was that a, just an amazing experience? I know you played with the Yankees as well, but – I mean, you talk about historic franchises. Uh, there's nobody quite like those guys. Uh, you know, I'm still indebted, and I, I had a pleasure to talk to him over the winter, Tony Kubek, who is retired and, and living a nice uh, life, spending time with his grandkids in Appleton, Wisconsin. But Tony is the broadcaster who, when with the Yankees in 94, decided to step away and uh, very, I was very flattered that he recommended to the Madison Square Garden Network that they hire me. And so I was able to step in at the, the time that Derek Jeter got called up. They became the first American League wildcard team in 95. And, uh, you know, the next seven or eight years, they were either winning the World Series or going to the World Series. So 
it was a perfect time to follow uh, the Yankees and, and, you know, the playing every day in historic Yankee Stadium. What a what a special treat it was to, to go to work there, if you want to call it work, and I never took that for granted. For sure. And, Jim, you are now, uh, you've done it before, but you, you've authored a book. You've got a new one coming out here in, in a couple of weeks that, uh, again, interesting baseball read. Bill Ames, the guy who's promoting it, I was in touch with this week. Uh, what has that been like for you? Well, I, I was quite flattered. Yesterday we got a very good review at the, in the Wall Street Journal. Doug Lyons is my co-author. He's written, uh, co-authored several baseball books. The Lyons family is uh, famous. Jeffrey was uh, a famous movie critic on uh, national TV for years. And it's not like I played for eight, <clears throat> 80 years, but my, my career spanned eight decades starting in 1959. So I share some of the experiences in each decade, and then at the end, kind of my likes and dislikes of the game today, you know, how it's changed. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I, my first signing is coming up in a few weeks, and we're doing a lot of promotional stuff. So uh, we're, we're kind of excited to see how it might be received. Jim, you, you, you played with Pete Rose uh, and, and got the opportunity to get into coaching for a little while, and, but, it, but it was short. Why was that? Was that just uh, was that calculated? Was it something you just decided, you know what, this is okay, but I think there's other things out there for me? It just seemed like a, a really short span where you were coaching. Oh, well, you're exactly right. When, uh, when, Pete, when Pete and I competed against each other, we used to have this little – uh, you know, kind of an unseen battle. He liked to run over the mound and intimidate the pitcher, and I liked to slide around and make sure I was in his way so he had to go around me. And so uh, one day he told their batting practice pitcher to come tell me if he ever got a managing job, he wanted me to be his pitching coach. So uh, I was honored by that, and I went and coached for a little more than a year. But selfishly, I found out there was an opportunity to get into broadcasting, which uh, I've always considered legalized robbery. And uh, so <laughs> quiet, quiet. Long, yeah, instead of putting the long hours into coaching, which was more time consuming than playing. And in those days, coaches were, well, we can't pay you much, but we get your pension time in. Well, I already had 25 years in the pension plan. So mm-hmm. uh, selfishly, and, and Pete understood that I said, I have a chance to go into broadcasting and and it's uh, it's going to be more financially rewarding for a lot less time. I enjoyed coaching the uh, the year I was there. We, our pitching staff we had some good pitchers, and I I really I just took the things I learned from Eddie Lopat and Johnny Sane and used them, and they were well received. So I enjoyed that, but selfishly, uh, it, it was just not a, a a productive lifestyle for me. Jim, the, the Twins opened the season, and all concerns were about starting pitching. And, of course, lo and behold, through two games, the bigger concern has been hitting. Uh, You've got Wes Johnson. You mentioned that you, as a, you served as a pitching coach and, and pitching that many years in the big leagues. And now they're talking about a six-man rotation with this team. Uh, uh, they, they sign Chris Archer. They, they make a trade. They, they trade Taylor Rogers. What can a pitching coach do? Like, like Let's insert Wes Johnson with the Twins right now. When, when you don't have a lot of experience, Sonny Gray was okay yesterday. You got a little bit there. What can a pitching coach do to change the outcome of a season or pitcher? What, what is it that he does on a daily basis that can affect the 162-game season and whether you win the division or not? Or is it more about the ponies you've been given to ride? 
Well, that that's the main thing, but I think certainly a pitching coach can have an influence. It is so different today. I can't even relate to the way they're operating things today yeah. when they start talking six-man rotation. When I got the job from Pete, I said, now, Pete, uh, I'm a four-man rotation guy. I like pitchers to do a lot of throwing. I don't make trips to the mound when the game starts, coaching stops. So I don't want to take the job if there's a conflict. He said, hey, I don't know anything about pitching. You got it. You do whatever you want. And I found that my most, my biggest influence was to be quiet and stay out of the way and allow the pitcher's natural talent and just make an occasional suggestion, which is what Johnny Sane did. But today, with all the technology and the long meetings and the trips to the mound, uh, I just think that's all counterproductive. Uh, my meetings and all the pitchers said, wow, this is the shortest meeting we've ever had. I said, yeah. High and tight, low and away, get your secondary pitches over when you're behind in the count. Play them a step to pull, play them a step the other way. Let's go play ball. And uh, <laughs> they liked that, and they did well with it. So I, I just uh, I, I think there's probably more overcoaching today because of all the technology, and I think that coaching can, can, with the talent level that big league pitchers have, I think the danger is that, Overcoaching can hurt more players than can help because you get too many thoughts going through your mind. And I, I say this all because of my own experience with coaches that I had. The ones that tried to feed me full of all kinds of information uh, confused me more than the guys like Johnny Sane and Eddie Lopat, who, you know, they were pitchers themselves. They knew what it was like to be on the mound in the seventh inning with a couple men on, and they, they could relate to the thoughts that are going through your mind out there and those those kind of guys help me jim Cott is our guest pete yeah jim i'll tell you i you, you took the words out of my mouth i think less is more uh and that's one of the issues obviously everybody always talks about in america's you know game and everything else and i'm just curious is that somewhere where they could maybe shorten those spans up all those different meetings at the mound and the time frame that is you know we all are trying to figure out ways to make baseball a little bit more attractive to the younger generation do you think those kind of things could actually help things out a little bit if we sped that up and and maybe restricted how many trips you can make oh no question uh i'll, I'll give you a quick story uh when i coach for pete uh you know i i said to the guys i said the only time i'm coming to the mound is to buy a little more time for the guy in the bullpen to get ready and i probably made in 1985 i may have made three trips to the mound so now joe morgan was doing the games on tv and uh you know joe and i became good friends after we competed each other against each other and we were not good friends <laughs> we had quite the battles but <laughs> he's on tv and a pitcher starting pitcher struggling and he said well i'm surprised that uh pitching coach doesn't go to the mound and talk to the pitcher. So he didn't do it maliciously. And so now a couple of days later, I see Joe around the batting cage. So I said, hey, Joe, you wonder why I don't go to the mound? I said, let me ask you something. You're hitting and the bases are loaded. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, just before the first pitch comes, there's time called. And the batting coach comes out and calls you out of the box and says, look, Pete, you got to keep that shoulder in. You got to do this. You got to do that. I said, what's your first instinct? You want to punch him, right, and say, get out of here. I said, well, that's yeah. the way us pitchers feel. I said, they don't run and tell the hitters what to do, but everybody thinks they want to run out to the mound. And most of the time, either they're infielders or stuff that have never pitched, that have no clue 
what's going through the starting pitcher's mind. And, and to me, that's just counterproductive. And uh, that's why I think I wish they would restrict trips to the mound by the catchers. I remember when Bob Gibson, mm-hmm. uh, Tim McCarver was catching Bob Gibson and Red Shandies was the manager, and he made the little, you know, move your fingers up and down, which meant go out and talk to the pitchers. So Timmy Timmy walked out to the mound, and Gibson looked at him about 10 feet. He said, hey, what are you doing out here? only thing you know about pitching is it's hard to hit. Get back behind the plate and put down the fingers. <laughs> so, so we didn't like catchers coming to the mound. We didn't like coaches coming to the mound. And uh, I wish they, I wish they would change that. You know, the uh, now they have the electronics in the in the hat and. Uh, oh my uh, gosh! Yeah, so I guess the, yeah. The pitchers are saying that it's going to work, but uh, see, in as I got experience after pitching to Earl Batty, who was such a influence on me as a young pitcher, but. Eventually, you become uh, your own. Uh, you have your own way you want to pitch, and so the catcher is merely making a suggestion, <laughs> and the pitcher has the last say. So basically, the pitcher should still be the one calling the game. When you pick up the morning paper, it never says losing catcher or losing coach. It says losing <laughs> pitcher or winning pitcher. So you have to be the one that's responsible and accountable. And all this additional information for me is just white noise. Jim Cott, always appreciate it. And uh, the book is coming out in a week and a half, I believe it is, on uh, the 19th, I believe. Yes. And I assume when you, when you come to Minnesota, you may be able to uh, uh, do a promotional stop or two as well. I would think so. We may have a signing there. I think the Twins are talking about uh, doing something in that regard. Well, appreciate it very much, Jim. Always fun to visit with you, and thank you so much for some time. Thanks, Jim. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Take care, guys. You bet. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 